Hey everyone, it's James, the Notorious Banker, and welcome to my podcast. 3,118 amazing followers at BankBetterGuy on Twitter, 5,663 amazing followers at Notorious Banker on TikTok, and dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for the love and support. I really do appreciate it. It has been a hectic last 10 days. Um, I'll get into a lot of what's going on with the Notorious Banker shortly here. But I do want to mention that May, um, we're coming upon the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. And two years ago, with um, the blessing of our, our then partner, Kasasa, who was the sponsor of this podcast for a good while, you know, we talked about all the mental health things that impact us, a lot of things that impact us just as a human being, not necessarily just because of banks, although banks can be a contributing factor to stress, mental stress, physical stress, you know. Um, but Mental Health Awareness Month is something that's really important to me. And I like to say that our Notorious Banker Project donated 500 pounds of food to a local food bank with the with the love and support from my listeners and followers donating to my Patreon and via Cash App and Venmo. And yes, you know, feeding people, of course, helps to their, you know, physical strength, but it also helps to mental strength, too. You know, my wife and I went to go donate all that food, and we saw that whole homeless shelter, free clinic, um, you know, food pantry all in action. And there were so many people there, you know, so many people who were needy, but there were also so many volunteers. And that really warmed my heart on Friday, I got to tell you. It was amazing. We had these huge boxes of food. I took a lot of pictures and I posted them on Twitter, of course. And yeah, I know, I always talk crap about Bank of America posting their philanthropy, their charitable givings on Twitter. And I understand that, but that's not what I'm about. Although I do want to show that your donations do pay off. I will say that. But going to the food pantry and seeing um, it in action was amazing. You know, I'm a 6'2", 300 pound guy. I lift weights for fun. And it was hard to get those boxes into my truck. You know, lifting 100 pound boxes of pasta and all kinds of other goods and throwing them in my car. I'm just like, wow, it's it's heavy it's a lot of food and then seeing these ladies 50 60 years old who are volunteering at the food pantry saying oh how many boxes you got six and they would pick up these boxes i swear to you with one hand i'm not joking with you the way that they lifted those boxes is something myself an amateur power lifter could not do and i was in awe of them and it was really cool to see that my wife and i had a good chuckle about the the strength that they had but you know proud to say that over 500 pounds of food was donated to the food pantry and honestly, mentally, that made me feel good because it told me that I'm doing something good for the community. And the fact that you guys are contributing to my project, you guys are, are doing something good for, for the rest of the people who need our help. So you should feel good um, because of that. And thank you so very much for that. I really needed that boost. I got to tell you, it's been an up and down weekend. The next day, I spent it with um, my brother, sister-in-law, and my, my two nieces. And um, one of them is special needs. You know, I've talked about it in the podcast before about how one of the points of contention with me with Bank of America splitting up a few years ago was the fact that when her twin sister passed away, I was not allowed to be there to mourn. I was told to work because our sales goals weren't getting hit in the last part of quarter three of 2017. And I've seen her grow up so much and I've seen her just overcome every obstacle being born less than one pound spending five months in the hospital and spending countless other times in the hospital well her and i got to have an amazing afternoon on saturday we got to just 
hold each other. You know, she doesn't speak. She she can't see. But I got to hold her in my arms, give her a gigantic hug. And I told her I love you probably over a hundred times. Because that's what I do. I'm, I'm the uncle that wants to show that affection because it's important to me. Family is a really big thing for me. And while my wife and my brother and sister-in-law were playing board games, me and Arya were just just hanging out, talking. She was asleep on my shoulder. She's three years old, and she's a beautiful little girl, and I think about her all the time. And um, we got a chance to hang out and just, you know, hold each other, as I said. While she did fall ill um, the next day, and she's, you know, currently in the hospital now, and I don't normally listen to my podcasts again um, you know, a couple of days after. So um, I'm probably not going to listen to this podcast again after I record it. But currently, you know, she's in the hospital and she's she's battling. She's really, really strong. And, and you know, I'm not a religious person, but I hope to God that she does, you know, overcome this obstacle that she's had with her health. And I just want to see her. I just want to hold her again. And I promise you one thing, when I'm not fighting back against big banks, when I'm not giving back to my community, when I am not hand in hand with my wife, and any future children that I might have, I will be holding my niece and I will tell her that I love her a hundred times a day if I am able to going forward. And I still will, no matter what happens. So, Arya, I'm thinking about you. I love you. And um, Saturday was an important day for me. Saturday was an important day for me. And it's um, made these last few days, which have been really difficult, a little bit easier knowing that we've got to spend that quality time together. Um, and it's been two years since my grandma died, so I know it's a lot going on this past week, and I just wanted to acknowledge that, hey, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to cry, it's okay to um, not feel your best, um, and that's what this is all about. Part of my project is, you know what, we're fighting back against big banks, because big banks literally put a crimp in our um, in our day-to-day lives, whether it's, you know, mentally, physically, or economically, and, and it's something that I want to do and something I'm going to do. So, you know, hug your children, hug your nieces and nephews um, a little bit tighter and just hope and, you know, pray for my niece as well as she's overcoming um, a lot of obstacles right now. Um, So it's been an interesting few days um, and there's so much news going on and, you know, the one year anniversary of the Floyd murder and... Um, I, I did a video about the Floyd murder and after effects and stuff and I was going to post it but there was some personal information of mine on a, on one of the windows that I was sharing so I decided to not post it so I'm going to try to re-record it but I will talk about it in this podcast um, in, in some aspect. I don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds on it because we've talked about it several times over the last year as you know. Um, but I do want to talk about today's news, which was the Senate hearing, Senate Banking Committee, committee excuse me, Sherrod Brown, the chair of that committee, holding court, um, inviting all the big bank CEOs to talk about how they are helping customers, how they have um, helped out the economy since the pandemic started. And I got to tell you, it was a freaking barrel of laughs. I loved every second of it. And there were some fun Bank of America Moynihan things in there. Um, but i got to be honest with you, three-hour um, hearing, not a lot of new information was dug up, but it, it, it told me one thing. It told me that there's some CEOs out there who, who legitimately believe that they're doing right by their communities. There's some that just don't give a shit, and we'll talk about him especially um, after the next segment. And then, of course, um, Brian Moynihan, who we pick on a lot. Uh, sheepishly answering questions and making the biggest faux pas of them all, which I've shared several times on Twitter today because it was hilarious. So we'll be talking about that. Then I said we'll we'll get into the one-year Floyd anniversary and just how 
a year year into this this new world that we live in when we're talking about race relations and everything how banks have actually impacted people of color in the last year we'll get into that as well and then i just wanted to touch on the new york times article about uh tom montag who is the number two to brian moynihan and who is the presumed heir apparent to ceo of bank of america having a nice little expose about the toxic culture around him and how there's a lot of similarities to his toxic culture to the toxic culture that i talk about on the branch level Montag and I were fucking 15 steps apart when we worked Bank of America together. And I have never thought of the man as much as I did until I read the article. But I don't need to know the man personally to know about the culture that's within Bank of America. Because I witnessed it and in some cases I was part of it. So um, after these brief promotional considerations, I'll get into all these topics. It's going to be quite a long podcast. Thank you guys for all your support with my, my philanthropy, my giving back. Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. Venmo or Cash App at The Banker Dude. And thank you so much for all your kind words over the last week or so. And thank you for your thoughts and prayers for my niece, Aria, who I'm going to be thinking about. I love you, baby. I'll be right back. All right, and I'm back. One thing I wanted to get into before we get into all the big topics out there um, in the banking world is um, Twitter announced about a week ago that they are reinstituting verification on their Twitter pages. There's a new application process that's rolling out in the last three weeks or so. And um, I gotta tell you, it's a sight for sore eyes. Um, I will be blunt with you and say that there's a lot of things I strive for. I strive to have the Notorious Banker be my main source of income where I'm, you know, with advertising revenue, with donations, with with um, the work that I do, not just podcasts, not just tweeting about stupid shit on Twitter. It's actually helping people. I really do believe I can make a career out of that because I made a career out of that working for the evil empire that is Bank of America. But Twitter verification means the world to so many people. And that little badge is going to be a badge of honor, and it's going to be um, quite possibly the turning point for um, the Notorious Banker Project, for everything that we got going on here. And I got to tell you, it's um, it's not a long shot so much, but it is something that I am striving for, I am working for. And I really know that if I can get in on the 361,200 plus people that are verified in this world on Twitter, um, I can I can achieve so many so many goals of mine. And yes, it's kind of selfish. Yes, it's kind of snobby to kind of say, hey, once I'm verified, things are going to change for me. And they really will because I really think a couple of things with my project, okay? I really do believe that little blue check mark will, will legitimize the Notorious Banker Project and podcast. It will legitimize all the hard work that we do. Because frankly, there are some people who see the, the vigilante customer service I do and say, well, what's this guy's agenda? What's this guy's he's trying to steal information or whatever? No, I'm not. I'm here legitimately to give bank advice to entertain you with a podcast and to entertain you on Twitter at Bank Better Guy. And um, I am and I'm well known in a lot of circles. Of course, a lot of people in the media know who I am. A lot of um, famous people. We've had a lot of um, celebrities that have gone through the Notorious Bankers car wash to speak to get a nice little shine um, because of my vigilante customer service and because of my help helping them fight back against big banks. I had a conversation with a, a TV reporter, I believe out of Texas, I forget her name, about a year and a half ago where I listed one of my goals was to be verified on Twitter. And, um, you know, she's verified on Twitter and she has several thousand followers. 
And she kind of lambasted me on Twitter and she said, you know, I follow you even though you're not verified, so I don't need to have a check mark to say, hey, that I, I, I like your content, I like this and I like that. And, you know, I was pretty upset about that that day whenever she said that. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, pot calling the kettle black. I don't know what the what the metaphor is for that. But it's something that whenever you're in the media, you really want to be legitimized on social media with that verified check mark because it tells people, hey, this is my official page. There's no scammy pages of me out there asking for your credit card number or whatever. So I was kind of upset. And I said, I understand and I thank you for following me. But sometimes that little blue check mark is the thin blue line, no pun intended, between me being able to help someone and me not understanding um, my project, you know. And at least with the blue check mark, they say, hey, well, at least someone has checked this guy out. And it's like high school, whenever you introduce a new friend to your friends and go, oh, no, man, that guy's cool. That guy's cool. That's what I want Twitter to do for the Notorious Banker. Say, hey, that Notorious Banker is cool. We really do believe that he belongs here. Um, I really think, and I'll be frank with you, I really think that when it comes to verification, sponsors will be um, much easier to attain. I really do believe conversations with um, more important people will be able to be attained just with that little blue check mark. Because, you know what, I'll be frank with you. You know, I, and this is, this is nothing too personal, but um, I used to be friends with a lot of people in the adult films industry um, because there was a whole other side of me 10 years ago that was into knowing celebrities, quote unquote, um, like that. And all the people that are in adult movies are not verified on Twitter and they have hundreds of thousands of followers. And with hundreds of thousands of followers and not being verified leads to spoof accounts, fake accounts that take advantage of people that steal money, that do all these things. And if they just had a verified check mark saying, hey, yes, this is that person, it would able, they would be able to legitimize their brand a little bit more. And they'd be able to transition to other things as well because at least someone said, hey, this is the person that they say that they are and this is their official page. I want Twitter to do that for me, so hopefully, just hopefully, um, we'll get that Twitter verification. Supposedly, the application for that is going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks. I really hope that it rolls out soon. That way, I can take advantage of it, and that way, if I get approved, a whole new level of the Notorious Banker will be in existence. I promise you, I will work 10 times as hard. I will make sure that the Notorious Banker is the preeminent word on bank news, financial news, and, and frankly, financial and bank humor, to be quite frank with you, um, going forward. I have been doing this for two and a half years. I do intend on doing this for a lot longer, and hopefully... This can be my full-time career. That little blue check mark is going to make a hell of a lot of difference to the reporter who lambasted me about having that check mark a year and a half ago. No hard feelings on that. I understand what you mean. There's a lot of people that I follow that aren't verified as well. But you know, a lot of the times, especially in the media, especially in a lot of industries, it's all about connections. It's all about who you know. And that little blue check mark is going to get, get me into a lot of doors that it wouldn't normally get a lot of people. So keep your fingers crossed for the Notorious Banker as he seeks that out. I have a pretty established podcast. I have a pretty established website. I have a pretty decent following. I have seen a couple of people in local news here in El Paso, Texas area who have been verified on Twitter uh, and they're new to the business. You know, they're on TV, but they have like 200 followers. There's someone that I follow on my personal Twitter who is a, a producer for the NBC affiliate in El Paso and she is not known to anyone publicly and she's a verified Twitter account. 
And so does it matter if you're known to the public or not? No, absolutely not. It's just a matter of saying, hey, this is the person who he says he is. Because I don't want any notorious banker spoofs out there. I don't want any people who are, quote, trying to help under the guise of helping. And they end up harming some people. So Twitter, if you listen to this podcast, I'm calling you out. I'm not, you know, threatening or anything. That's not who I am. But I'm saying, you know what? In the best interest of bank customers, in the best interest of my listeners and followers, a verification of my account would be really, really big and important for me. So please do so. So whenever you see my application coming up really soon, please rubber stamp that sucker. Give me the blue check mark, and I promise you we will change the world together. I'll be right back after this. Hey everyone, it's James, Notorious Banker, inviting you to join me on Patreon. Yes, it's the second anniversary of patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. Well, how do I do that? I use my brand of Vigilante Customer Service to help people recoup monthly maintenance and overdraft fees, deal with customer service issues such as check hold releases and fraud claim reversals, and the general customer service malaise that is the big banking industry. Banks like Bank of America, Chase City, and Wells Fargo um, have big bank mindsets but very small-minded customer service skills. The Notorious Banker fights back against that. With a subscription for as little as $1 a month, you could help me, the Notorious Banker, fight on behalf of the little guy who don't realize that they have a chance to fight back against big banks if given the opportunity. Go to patreon.com slash notoriousbanker for more information about me, more information about what I do, and to subscribe today to my Patreon. You'll also get additional podcast and video content, among other things, with that subscription as well. And I thank you so much for contributing, and my customers and my clients, my followers, my listeners, thank you too. All right, everyone, and I'm back. You know, Wednesday mornings are always fun for me. Uh, Wednesday morning is when the new grocery circular shows up, and... I see what coupons are available on my grocery app and I figure out strategies for saving the most money on my groceries. Well, today I kind of put that on the back burner. I didn't go on my normal 7.30 in the morning grocery run because at 8 a.m. the Senate Banking Committee held a hearing with all the top bank CEOs to talk about how banks have helped during the pandemic. And I got to tell you, um, shit show is an understatement when it comes to that. Now, if you've worked in a bank before, and I imagine that a good chunk of you who listen to this podcast do, you understand that fake bravado that banks have. You know that, because especially with Bank of America, for instance, we had the daily huddle, and it's just like, hey, good job to James for opening up eight accounts yesterday. Good job to Nancy for opening up six accounts yesterday. And you, you hear that fake thing, and they don't give a shit. They don't care that you opened up eight accounts or six accounts. Yeah, they do in the sense that you're going to help them hit their bonus, but it's just like... Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Dutch Bros Coffee, and I love Dutch Bros Coffee. Um, they're actually opening one a mile away from my house, and I am so thankful for it because it only used to be in Phoenix and in Vegas, and now it's literally by my house. But the way they train their baristas is so weird. You know, Starbucks people are nice, but Dutch Bros people are like, wow, it's really great to meet you. This coffee is so good. And it just sounds like they're brainwashed. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it's it's hilarious to me. And that's the way bankers are, especially in the morning, especially whenever they're they're thanking each other for their hard work. And I could only understand that during these unprecedented times that banks have been doing that a lot. You know, congratulations to, to James because he refilled all the hand sanitizers in our branch and he did a really good job during these crazy times. He still went above and beyond. That's a gold star. I mean, I really do believe banks do shit like that. So... 
I know they do shit like that because I was there. But to see how banks were going to pat themselves on the back about how much good they did um, during the pandemic was just, it was, it's, it was a fine wine. It was vintage. It was something that was so aromatic and just amazing to me. I'm like, they really believe, they really believe that they did well, that they did good for people. I just don't get it. So, you know, of course, um, Sherrod Brown, who is the senator from Iowa, or Ohio, excuse me, um, was talking about, hey, we're going to give everyone a chance to talk, and we're going to give everyone a chance to do this. And then, of course, Charlie Shar from Wells Fargo, Jamie Diamond from Chase, um, the city CEO, who I turned name escapes me, Fraser, um, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs, all these places that we don't normally talk about in the podcast. You know, they t- said their little spiel as well. Um, but I was talking to, um, I was actually responding to a tweet from Andrew Ackerman, who is um, the banking reporter for the Wall Street Journal. And his tweet was 14 hours ago, as of this recording, said, roughly 30 minutes into this, the hearing so far is an opportunity for the biggest U.S. banks to talk about how great they are. And then I commented back, man, I hope no one breaks their arm patting themselves on the back this much. And it's true. Everything, every single CEO said, you know, during these crazy times, we instituted policies to help our customers. We instituted a freeze on overdraft fees. We paused home loans. We paused auto loans. We've, um, you know, taken care of our associates. We allowed them time off to get COVID tested, to get COVID vaccines. It's all the bullshit that you hear all the time. And, you know, I was just talking to my wife, a pretty deep conversation before I recorded this podcast. And, you know, we talk about it. Sometimes we just need those little things to say, hey, we did good. You set the bar so low that whenever you say, hey, you know what? We got all of the people in our branch vaccinated. You want to celebrate that. I understand why banks want to do that because they're always, they look for the negative, but they always try to look for the positive, granted. Okay, I, I really do believe that. Um but, you know, whenever you hear Wells Fargo say, we worked really hard for the Paycheck Protection Program, and to see, you know, Chase say, well, we implemented, you know, waivers of overdraft fees, pauses on overdraft fees for this amount of time. Well, the pandemic is still going on for a lot of people. Yes, we understand we have a new president, and now this new president has decided, hey, we're going to open things up. We're going to get back to business because people are getting vaccinated. People are still out of jobs, though. People are still struggling to catch up with what they missed out on in the last year. And we've talked about the, the pandemic a lot the last year as well on this podcast. And, you know, people are struggling and working really hard to get back to normalcy. And I respect the fact that they put in their efforts for that. But don't come around here, Wells Fargo, for instance, and saying, hey, we worked hard to make sure that we got our customers the Paycheck Protection Program. Because that's a fucking lie. They closed out their their PPP stuff last year before anyone had a chance to even apply for it. And then they bitched to Congress. They bitched to the government saying, hey, all, you know all those, all those sanctions you put on us for us opening up unauthorized accounts? Well, can you lift them and then maybe we'll be happy to help more people with PPP? And then they kind of temporarily lifted them and guess what? They didn't help as many people as they said that they did. Chase didn't help as many people as they said that he did. Bank of America, you know this from me, sure as shit did not help as many people as they said they did with PPP. I'm still talking to people who are stuck in PPP hell right now, and it sucks for them, and I feel horrible for them. So hearing the CEOs talking about all the good they do, knowing that they didn't get their hands dirty once, knowing that, the, you know, 
I'm not saying that they didn't have harsh conversations. I'm sure they heard it from shareholders. I'm sure they heard it from, you know, people in power, like senators, for instance. But the fact of the matter is this. The fact of the matter is they did not get their hands dirty. They did not work as hard as they can because places like Bank of America had made it that much harder to even bank with them during the pandemic. Branches closed all across the country in key areas Dallas-Fort Worth, shout out to a reporter from WFAA who I talked to for the first time a couple of days ago who did this awesome report, and I hope to talk about it in a future podcast where um, they're talking about the lack of financial institutions below Interstate 30 in Dallas where a lot of people are underbanked and unbanked as a result of these big banks just saying fuck you to people on the south side of that interstate. You, you see people struggling to find a branch, to find ATMs that have money in it, that have ATMs to be able to do deposits, to be able to put money into their accounts. You're seeing a strategic cock blocking, and yes, I use the word cock blocking on a bank podcast, of customers being able to be customers of a bank because the bank doesn't want them as customers. That's what pisses me off about that. So whenever Andy Ackerman said, hey, you know what, giving the banks the opportunity to talk about how great they are, you're damn straight. Banks are hyping up shit that they shouldn't hype up because you know that the notorious banker, you know people on Twitter are talking about the ways that they have failed us during the pandemic. And... You know, the Senate banking hearing notwithstanding, you know, there's so much that goes on in these meetings. And I am not a political person. I have told you my stories about how I just stopped being a political person. You know, I've made my decision to vote for certain people at certain times. I regretted voting for certain people at certain times. And that's the way that a true American should be is, you know what, every four years, are you better off? Yes or no. And then you make your decision thusly. Um... But this is not a political podcast, so if any of you hear something even the slightest bit politically charged, um, I do apologize if you do hear that because that's not my intent on here. But I will say this. Whenever the Republicans were in charge of the Senate last year before the pandemic and before that, um, they still took their lumps, bank CEOs did. You know, bank CEOs got the shit beat out of them because in a Senate banking hearing, even though they might have people kissing their ass like people on the right side of the aisle, there's always going to be those heavy hitters, and you know who they are, and we'll talk about it in a second, who are going to say, you guys take advantage of customers with fees, you guys are foreclosing on homes and all that. So you know that they're going to get their lumps no matter what. So the fact of the matter is, because it's a democratically controlled Senate, does not mean that they didn't have their people who were pro-bank in that conversation. There were. But they still got their ass handed to them uh, many times over as well. And, you know, the, the hardest thing to hear about with this set in hearing, I'm going to play two clips for you during this little segment here, is... You know, they talk about, hey, unbanked people and, you know, like stock buybacks. You know, your bank is participating in stock buybacks and it's it's creating this issue with, you know, the banks. It was illegal at one point in time to kind of do that because a lot of people considered it, you know, manipulation of a stock to buy back your own stock. And I don't know all the particulars of shit like that. That's not my forte. My stuff is customer service through and through. People get bored of that stuff. But they touched upon a lot of things that we've talked about on the podcast, like how Bank of America and Wells Fargo, for instance, have been giving money to uh, black-owned banks and black-owned financial institutions. And yes, there is a positive side to that. And Bank of America is part of their 
their one billion now one point two five billion dollar commitment to end racism, um, a commitment that's no longer listed on their news release on June second of last year. By the way, um, you know part of it is giving fifty million dollars to black owned banks, but of course you know the whole quid pro quo thing that they talked about with President Trump whenever he was there. It's like, you do this in exchange for that. Whenever Bank of America gives $50 million to these um, minority-owned institutions, is there a quid pro quo that says, hey, this is what you're going to do? And is Bank of America or Wells Fargo going to dictate any steps that these institutions make? Or is it kind of implied saying, hey, you know what, here's all this money. Um, Try to allow us to operate the way we want to operate and we'll continue to give you money because Bank of America, Wells Fargo know that they're probably going to make so much more money on the back end if they don't have to deal with people in urban areas. I'll be frank with you. That's just what I believe. So there's a lot there to talk about. So they talked about that, but they didn't really get deep into it. A lot of, um, of the banks kind of passed on the question because they weren't a part of that. And then, of course, we talked about the PPP stuff, and then we talked about pauses on foreclosures and the housing industry bubble. If there's another 2008, are banks going to be able to survive that? They kind of dodged the question because, you know, banks, they don't like to speculate on shit like that. But the consumer side of things is what I talk about, and that's what I want to talk about here. Of course, Elizabeth Warren, who is the former Democratic presidential candidate, a longtime senator from the state of Massachusetts, and someone who is very polarizing. You know, if you're on the right side of things, you really don't like her. If you're on the left side of things, there's some people on the left side of things that don't like her as well. But, you know, she's one of 100 people. It's a very exclusive club. I understand that. I, 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 I get that. Um, so you gotta, you gotta respect it just in the sense that, you know, they made it this far and good for her, but seeing her totally kick Jamie Dimon's ass, and I'm going to play a two minute clip here, uh, and then we'll talk about it afterwards about her pummeling Dimon, according to Sawyer Hackett, uh, who's the executive director of Julian Castro's People First Future, um, it's just really funny. And it's just funny to see these wars, these battles going on, not in public, but on Zoom meetings, or I believe it's Microsoft Teams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I'm going to play this clip for you. I'm going to try to play it a little bit loud on my computer here. That way you can hear it, and I'll, I'll comment on it after. It's about 2 minutes and 17 seconds, my friends. So bear with me here as I play it for you. JP Morgan collect in overdraft fees from their consumers in 2020? Right, I think your numbers are totally inaccurate, but we'll have to sit down privately and go through is that. A public and I also, I also want to point out we did not overdraft. Can, can you just answer my question? We, we How much did JP Morgan collect? We, we did not overdraft the Fed account. And at any request, okay. so whoever, I'm sorry, Mr. Diamond, that was, Mr. Diamond, that was not the question. Did you, you had an automatic protection. So I'm asking, you were recommended, the regulators recommended you offer that same kind of protection to your customers. How much, in fact, did J.P. Morgan collect in overdraft fees from their customers in 2020? Do you know the number? I don't know the number in front of me. But well, we I actually, actually have upon, the number in front of me. It's $1.463 billion. That's nearly $1.5 billion that you collected 
from your customers. Now, do you know how much J.P. Morgan's profit would have been in 2020 if you had followed the recommendation of the regulators and waived overdraft fees to help struggling consumers? In other words, without that overdraft money, would your bank have been in financial trouble? We waived the fees for customers upon request if they were un under stress because of COVID. Now, I, I appreciate that you want to duck this question. Do you know how much your profits would have been if you'd actually waived all the fees as the, rec we, as we, the regulators we waived, recommended? We waived the fees every time. The answer is your profits would have been $27.6 billion. I did the math for you. So here's the thing. You and your colleagues come in today to talk about how you stepped up and took care of customers during the pandemic. And it's a bunch of baloney. In fact, it's about $4 billion worth of baloney, but you can fix that right now. Mr. Diamond, will you commit right now to refund $1.5 billion you took from consumers during the pandemic? No. Right now? No. No. Mr. <laughs> no, is what he says. And it's, it's funny because you know he does not give a fuck. You know he doesn't give a shit about customers and and it's true though what senator warren was saying was true that they would still make 27 billion dollars because i've said this before and you know i've said this before this is this is what i talk about you know consumer banking retail banking the little old lady with a checkbook and a 500 checking account is not the the business that drives chase that's not the business that drives wells fargo that's not the business that drives bank of america there are things way bigger than that there, there are people way bigger than that. There are customers way bigger than that. I used to laugh whenever, and, and I didn't laugh at them to belittle them, but whenever a customer would go into my bank and, you know, they, they would be rude to me and I would try to help them as much as I possibly can because that's just who I am. And they go, well, this is ridiculous. I have $5,000 of my money here. I'll gladly take it out. I mean, you know, now... Bank of America makes $5,000 in about six seconds. In six seconds, one, two, three, four, five, six. Bank of America just made $5,000. That guy's life savings, that guy's nest egg. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to threaten to leave. Then fucking leave is the way Bank of America would think about it. Chase thinks that way. Wells Fargo thinks that way. So... I always said that retail banking is just is just a blip on their radar. So for Jamie Dimon to have the cojones, to have the balls, to just tell Senator Warren, I'm not going to commit to waiving you know, $1.5 billion in fees. The funny thing about it is it's not real money. It's just all an abstract idea. You can click a button, refund that money, and it's $35 that goes back into the customer's account. That guess what? They're going to end up fucking spending on stuff that they need anyway. You're going to make money on card swipes. You're going to make money on merchant services for the people who accept those cards, among other things. So for him to just say no is just a brazen attitude that, frankly, his shareholders love. And I don't love it. I think it's smarmy. I think it's cocky. I think it's stupid. But the fact of the matter is, what Senator Warren said was right. They would still make 20-some-odd billion dollars plus last year. During the pandemic, they're going to make $50 billion this year um, if everything tracks the way that it's supposed to. Overdraft fees are are are, are nothing. It's It's the... It's the little sprig of parsley on a plate that you just throw away after you're done eating. It's nothing. And um, one of my Twitter followers said, Hashtag Jamie Diamond is such a clown. He gets a pass 
because sycophants like Jim Cramer suck up to him. And it's true. And then, you know, I talked about how he's like every other bank boss I've ever dealt with. And then my follower said she went in knowing that he was not going to answer the question because he thinks his arrogant ass shouldn't have to answer to anyone. He knew the questions were coming and he didn't bother to know the answers. F him. And whenever he says, well, I don't have the numbers in front of me or I don't have this information in front of me. And, and you know, whenever she gives him the numbers, says, well, I haven't checked that information out. These fuckers know everything. They know every single penny that goes in and out of that bank. It's it's a sickness. It's a curse. I I knew everyone's sales goals in my branch, and I knew everyone's sales goals in the branches of Among Us. I knew going into the day of like, man, I need four thousand TSV in order to fund this quarter. And I'm thinking, well, if I get two LLC accounts, a home loan, this and that, I would be able to break down to the literally in sell one sales interaction that I can get this shit done. I literally could because that's how insane I was. I knew the numbers and I was nowhere near the top of the totem pole as CEO of Chase Jamie Diamond is, okay? These people know everything. I made the point on Twitter that I once got almost written up at Bank of America because I hit the F11 button too many times in one day. And they were saying, why did you keep on hitting that button? I'm like, well, how did you know that it hit that button? And they're like, well, we tracked it and you hit F11 this many times and you only helped this many customers. And what happened was I kind of um, overinflated our sales interactions or our teller transactions, which messed up our sales interaction percentage. Um, and all I was doing was hitting F11 to check the time to see what time it was so I could go to lunch, a lunch that was never really scheduled um, by my boss. So it was just on me to figure out the time, see where the traffic was, and be able to leave um, whenever I had a chance. So I got in trouble for that, and they track fucking F11 button clicks on your keyboard. They're going to know how much they made in overdraft fees. So that shit pissed me off, and that, that was ridiculous. And that, uh, that discomfort that I had in that interaction was only fueled by the weird you know, awkwardness that is Zoom meetings or Microsoft Teams meetings or whatever. Because you know, to see that battle one-on-one -on -one would be so much cooler than seeing it over Zoom with that little half-second delay. And that was the, that was the hardest part of it. Um, but, you know, overdraft fees, talking about that, that's just a drop in the bucket. You know, with Bank of America saying that they were pausing overdraft fees or have a conversation with their customers about overdraft fees if they were impacted by the pandemic. And you heard Jamie Dimon say it. You know, we waive fees upon request if they were impacted by COVID. Well, shit, if everyone is locked down, everyone is impacted by COVID, right? Even if you don't have it, even if you weren't, you were impacted in some way. The whole world was, right? That's why it was such a big fucking deal. And whenever he says upon request, I immediately think of, you know, salt, pepper, and ketchup are available upon request at my McDonald's drive-thru a couple miles down the road. And it's like, you know, you don't, they don't ask you anymore. Would you like ketchup with your fries? Just put it in there. I understand it costs money, but just put it in there. It's one less thing that I have to worry about. And if I don't want the ketchup, then I'm going to throw it away. And I, I know environmentalist people will say, hey, you know, why are you throwing away, you know, perfectly good ketchup? I understand that. I understand that. But, you know, in that one moment, someone wants, if someone wants fries, they more than likely want ketchup. If someone wants something that's very fattening and not healthy, they probably want salt on that. So, you know, just putting those things in there as a given is something that was done so many years ago. But say it's upon request, it's so stupid. It's like, well, 
Of course, I'm going to fucking request the fees be refunded, but most people don't even know how to get there, or most people will request those fees to be refunded on places like Twitter whenever I interact with them. And you know damn well that Chase Support or Ask Wells Fargo or at B of A Help are not going to help people get those fees refunded, request or not. And that's the, that's, that's the fucking fact of nature there. I can go on and on with all the things they talked about because, of course, the minority institutions, the billion-dollar commitment, the fact of the matter that the home loan bubble might be there, you know, stock buybacks. But the most hilarious thing, I think, about um, the whole interaction was when Senator um, Menendez of New Jersey was asking, with his five minutes of time, asking all these banks if they offered any no-cost, no-fee initiatives for unbanked customers. And then he he kind of picked on Bank of America CEO Moynihan, <clears throat> excuse me, to give him an answer. And Brian Moynihan gave probably the most hilarious response that I that I I couldn't even fathom that he would have this response. So listen to this clip here of Menendez talking to Brian Moynihan about any no cost, no fee initiatives for unbanked customers. All right, here we go. It's a minute and eight seconds. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, Mr. Moynihan, Mr. Scharf, uh, Ms. Fraser, Mr. Diamond, have you implemented any uh, no-cost, no-fee initiative to help unbanked consumers obtain bank accounts? A simple yes or no. Uh, yes, we have. Yes, we have. Okay, what would those be? What would those be? Uh, we, uh, Senator, we introduced a no overdraft account a few years ago. It represents about 30% of our new sales, especially to uh, young people. It, it provides no ability to overdraft with saves consumers, uh, helps them manage their finances. It is available for $5 a month as a flat fee. Um, and for students and people on the age of 24, it's free. Um, and you know, that's a uh, type of account that consists with a bank on set of accounts. We have up to a half million of those outstanding so far. And as I spoke earlier about, we have our Advantage uh, borrowing product, which allows $500 emergency borrowing for a $5 fee with no interest. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Do you have any no-cost, no-fee initiatives for unbanked customers? Yes, we do. We have, um, we have a checking account that offers no overdraft fees, and it's a flat $5 fee. A no-fee initiative for unbanked customers for a $5 fee. Seriously, what's going on here? And, and the fact of the matter is, whenever he's talking about that in the video conference, he's not looking at the camera. I, I have trouble with that, too. I'm a shy person, so whenever I do my videos, I have a hard time staring at the camera. It's just, just a fact of nature. But for a company that does fucking meetings 10 times a day if you're in the higher-ups, I wasn't in a higher-up position, and I had to do two meetings a day. Um, the, the lack of self-confidence in that answer almost tells me that he doesn't even fucking believe his shit. But the simple fact that a question was asked, do you offer something free? And Bank of America says, yeah, we offer a free account. It's only $5 a month is the most hilarious shit I have ever heard anyone say. And I had a good laugh. I had to stop what I was uh, recording and tell my wife about it. And I got a huge kick out of it. And then the fact that he mentions Balance Assist, which is their payday loan product, where he mentions that you can borrow up to five hundred dollars 
for a $5 flat fee as well. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds with all the other requirements that you need for that account because the account that he mentioned that was $5 a month um, and the loan product that's a $5 fee to borrow $500 are not compatible. You cannot have that checking account and then get that particular payday loan product. You can't. So those two things cancel each other out. You need a different type of product in order to, to get the loan. And that, that no overdraft fee account still costs you $60 a year. Where if you have your shit together, then guess what? You won't have to pay a monthly fee, but it's having your shit together the way the Bank of America wants you to. And then another thing, the fact that he says that it's available free to students and people under the age of 24, that's another falsehood. Because here's the fact of the matter. The waiver for under 24 people is for students only, and you have to provide proof of being a student in order to get that waiver. And you know how I know that? I got in trouble for that. There are some people who opened up an account who were 19, 20 years old, who were not students anymore. They graduated high school. They weren't going to college. They opened up a bank account. I listed that they were freshman students at New Mexico State with a graduation date four years later. And then I got an audit saying, hey, did you look at their student IDs? How come you didn't put their student ID number on there? And I said, well, they didn't have it with them. I was like, well, how did you know that they were students? Because they were young. And I got in trouble because I didn't mark that down. That was my bad. That was my fuck up. But guess what? I was a salesperson and I wanted to hit my goals. So the fact of the matter, he says it's for all people under 24. That's breaking their own policy right there with the way that he said it. So everything that he said was just wrong. And the fact that you you have this Senate hearing and you have this preparation for weeks. I knew about this weeks ago. He didn't have that prepared. You're not prepared to answer those questions. That's a fucking fail. That's just, just wrong. How can you not be prepared for those questions to be asked? You know they're going to be asked because you know people are going to ask those things that their constituents want to hear, that the, the media wants to hear. Because anytime you hear Wells Fargo, what do you hear? Fake accounts. We didn't hear that once. Uh, during the meeting, by the way, but you kind of have this word association, and of course, big banks equal fees, and Brian Moynihan cannot produce that as well. I would have respected Brian Moynihan a shit ton more if Senator Menendez said, "Hey, do you offer any no-cost accounts for underbanked or unbanked customers?" And Bank said, "No, no, we don't. Um, that's not our specific clientele. You know, yeah, I know it sounds bad, but we really feel that they do better at another bank." Um, but all of our accounts do have a monthly charge, but there are ways of waiving those monthly charges. And he got kind of got into it about how to waive the fee if you're under 24. But that's the thing they used to tell us at Bank of America. They used to say, do not mention that the account is free. There are ways to make the account free, but there are certain requirements you got to have. $1,500 minimum balance, direct deposit of 250 or more, linked up to a preferred rewards or an advantage package or whatever. So he can't even recite that verbatim, and that just tells you how fucking far removed he is from the retail banking part of Bank of America. And that's that's not a bad thing. I don't I don't I don't mind that because you know if he's all about Merrill Lynch, which he was the head of Merrill Lynch for a long time, if he's all about big you know businesses with countries with humongous companies, which I know they are Geico and all these companies do business with Bank of America, then he should care only about those things. I don't expect him to know. You know, my little old lady customers in Las Cruces, New Mexico. But he should know the fucking products because they, they go through him. Yes, he has a, a head of retail banking. His name is Tong Nguyen, I believe, or whatever. Um, or Steve Boland as well. 
he has to have a conversation. Hey, we got this product, and we think it's going to be good for college kids. It's called the blah, blah, blah account. And he can't even fucking recite that. That's ridiculous. So the simple fact that he said we have a free account that costs $5 a month was just kind of, it sums up what a shit show this whole thing was. Talked about it for 30 minutes now. I don't want to keep you too long on this topic because we've got a couple more other topics to go. But i got to tell you, it was three hours worth watching. I recorded it. I'm going to watch it again, and I'm going to laugh again. Because frankly, and, and I'm just going to wrap it up here. These guys are liars. And I've learned from, I've learned from my time at Bank of America. You can spot a liar from a mile away. You can tell when someone's not being truthful when you, whenever you're face-to-face in their office. It's a skill that I attained. It's a skill that I'm proud of because it tells me that I'm actually focusing on the people that I'm working with or working for. But they make billions of dollars combined. If Chase is going to make $50 billion, Bank of America is going to make $30 billion, even Wells is going to make fucking 10 to $15 billion, Citibank is going to make $20, $30 billion, they're going to make $100 plus billion dollars in profit this year. And, you know, they can't even recite the fake shit that they do to help the average customer. It's it's weird and it's ridiculous. Um, but it was good TV, and I got to tell you, um, the only time I watch C-SPAN is whenever anyone bank-related is on there. So uh, my three hours of C-SPAN viewing are over for 2021, unless there's a special hearing of the Senate Banking Committee. Um, coming soon and maybe yours truly the notorious banker can help institute change that's a that's a that's a bigger goal for me but we'll get there eventually um i'll be right back with some conversations about the one year after george floyd's murder right after this please stick around hey everyone it's james the notorious banker inviting you to join me on tiktok that's at notorious banker on tiktok Yeah, I know it's kind of weird to have a 38-year-old on TikTok, but, you know, I was so inspired by people who share couponing deals on there, home and car hacks, among other things. It's a very influential place to be right now, and you can get a lot of traction with a lot of people fast. And I really think my brand of humor, along with banking news and information and stories about unethical things going on in big banks, fits perfectly on TikTok. No, I won't be doing a lot of dancing, but what I will be doing is a lot of information giving to you, the general public, you know, the 67 million people who bank at Bank of America, the 30 million plus at Bank of Wells Fargo. You need to know the stories and you need to know the tea behind what's going on in the banking world. So if you join me on TikTok and Notorious Banker, I am going to blow your mind. I'm going to try to make you laugh as well, but I'm going to keep it informational and I'm going to keep it fun. So join me on TikTok today. That's at Notorious Banker. All right, guys, and I'm back with more Notorious Banker. So, you know, yesterday was an interesting day, and I'll be blunt with you, I was exhausted yesterday. Health-wise, stress-wise, of course, I'm not feeling it. I told you about what's going on with my niece, and I just haven't been getting a lot of sleep as of late, and there was a lot of things I wanted to say, and I did record a video about the Floyd one-year anniversary thing and how banks have have attempted to show um, what amazing, upstanding citizens they are of this country one year post Floyd but I had an issue with the recording of it so I scrapped it although I do want to record that again in the coming days as well um but you know I will be honest with you I do believe that there was a lot of excessiveness when it came to the anniversary event yes a man was murdered yes it was horrible and the person who did it is convicted and is probably going to spend a lot of time in prison but I'll be frank with you, I don't need to hear Burger King's take on it. I don't need to hear, you know, JCPenney's take on it. I don't even know if they did or not. 
um, when I hear Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and all these companies, you know, have their their take on what's going on, I want to believe that the person that is doing that, the social media person, is genuine in the fact that they care that a man lost his life and that a conversation was had um, f- for people of color in this country and race relations and just loving one another as human beings conversation was meant or is it just a strategic marketing ploy to get clicks to get likes i I want it to be genuine and i and i really hope to god that the people who put those things out there were genuine about it i know the video that i created was going to be genuine about it because i feel that there's a lot of work to do you know we talked about in my 100th episode it was a year ago almost since i did my 100th episode one year after george floyd's murder on or one week excuse me after it June 2nd of last year, 2020, Bank of America announced a one-year or a four-year, one billion dollar initiative to advance um, economic opportunity and to bring racial equality. And in the year, yes, they have given to HBCUs and uh, predominantly Hispanic, uh, you know, health clinics. They've provided money for COVID testing whenever that was a huge, important thing in our lives last summer and everything. Yes, there are some tangible things that Bank of America did. They bumped it up to $1.25 billion after the massacre of several um, Asian Americans in Atlanta. And, you know, prompted me to believe, well, why did they add more money to the pot? Was it, you know, $250 million for every race that's out there? I just didn't know. And there's a lot of people on the right side of things will say that this is woke culture and all that. And I don't want to talk about that shit. It's it's stupid. And you know what? If the, if a bank wants to legitimately give us money, then more power to them. But we know that they're not really doing it. Because the majority of the $1 billion um, initiative is a commitment to lend. It's a commitment to lend for home loans and business loans that we know that black people and Hispanic people have a hard time getting. We And I know this because I talk to these people every single day. There are people who get ignored whenever they're applying for home loans. There's PPP loan people who got denied forgiveness because bank associates forgot to help them, forgot to respond to an email or a phone call, and shit like that happens all the time. I always equate the $1.25 billion commitment that Bank of America did to um, basically a, a way of just giving away hand sanitizers, gloves, and masks. It seemed like everything that was tied to the $1 billion plus commitment for Bank of America was a photo op with black or brown people at a, a community center or you know, like YMCA or a school holding boxes of cheap Amazon face masks. You know, from China or whatever. Yeah, I know most of the shit's made in China anyway. Or hand sanitizers. Posing with hand sanitizers like they're fucking Vanna White. That's not ending racial inequality. It's not. That's helping your fellow men. That's that's doing the most bare bones thing you can possibly do during the height of the pandemic. If I had an extra bottle of hand sanitizer and I didn't need it, I would give it to someone. And I'm not even a, a thoughtful person like that, but I would... That's not that's not ending racial inequality because we know this, I know this, you know this damn well, and I know this every fucking time I walk into the grocery store. Anytime I go to Walmart now, there's shelves of hand sanitizer that are clearanced out, and I've seen them for as low as ten cents a gigantic bottle, regular price five dollars. Why? Because they're just taking up space. It is plentiful now. Yes, there wasn't enough masks, you know, last year. That's why people were cutting up t-shirts and shit. 
there wasn't and and all of a sudden there was no 95 masks and now n95 masks are available 50 of them for six dollars on amazon i just saw it um you know hand sanitizer and masks notwithstanding they're they're everywhere now they're on super duper clearance everywhere i go they're trying to just give them to you and i saw an interesting story about what about the port etsy people who are making masks you know they're not going to have any more business because hey there's no more mask mandates so all this ties around to the fact that Bank of America, whenever George Floyd was murdered, decided that the best photo op for giving away, quote-unquote, giving away $1 billion plus was to take pictures of people of color holding face masks, holding hand sanitizer. And that's supposed to end racism? I think that's just a chicken shit way out. Show me people with keys to their new home that you helped smoothly. Give me names. Have someone on the record that says, Hey, Joe Smith here got a house from Bank of America as part of our billion-dollar commitment to get people of color into homes. And let's have a legitimate conversation with people like that. Because that's the only way that the world is going to change. Not giving people hand sanitizer or masks, okay? Like I said, it was important and necessary last year. It's not as important now, although we're still wearing masks at a lot of places. Because guess what? Pretty much everyone has them. I I donate plasma all the time on the bad side of town. I see transients, homeless people. They have masks. They don't have money, but they have masks. So we know that they're around, okay? That's all I'm going to say about that part of it. We've seen the video from YouTube of Bank of America denying black customers the opportunity to cash checks discriminating people cashing checks saying that they had to sit and wait while the check gets verified you have seen and we've talked about it even on this podcast about banks in urban areas closing down that literally like in harlem or in brooklyn there's like one bank of america atm and location that's open for 150,000 people and money gets you know empty you know the money's empty in the atms and the banks are closed on a Thursday for some fucking reason, or there's one teller. It's all strategic to get people away from banking in person. And these are in places where it's predominantly Hispanic and black, okay? And these are these are the things that we see all the time, that I see all the time. The PPP loan thing, the home loan thing, is something that you always, always see as well. And it's frustrating. We see Charlie Scharf uh, last September get into a shit ton of trouble get me super viral and also get me suspended um, because of how many tweets that I did that people did whenever he said in a conference call that we have a limited pool of black talent in this company, which is why they didn't, they didn't promote from within uh, for higher executive roles for people of color. And that created a shitstorm unlike any other because you know it and I know it. There are amazing people of color that work at big banks. I know this. I had an African-American boss for nine years at Bank of America, and although I did not get along with her at the time, after years of not working with her and years of seeing the bullshit that banks put managers through, I understood her story and I respect it a hell of a lot more now. And knowing the fact that she never made it up to some regional executive told me that there was something wrong with this picture. And 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 the fact of the matter is this, okay? Whenever Sharp said that about Wells Fargo, there were tens of thousands of people of color at Wells Fargo that probably didn't even look at that news. But it was the people who weren't at Wells Fargo who understood that and understood that everything that they thought about why they didn't advance at a company was kind of made true in this frank conference call uh, between him and shareholders or people that work for Wells Fargo. 
and frankly, that was that was a bridge too far for a lot of people, and a lot of people were pissed. And he didn't apologize. He kind of he just said, "Oh, my words were taken out of context." But it doesn't matter. The fact is, whenever you say that there's a limited pool of black talent out there, that tells me one of two things: that you weren't looking hard enough, or two, that's an excuse that's going to allow you to just pick who you want to be you know in the upper echelons of importance at a place like that and we all know from reports my you know old friend austin weinstein formerly of the charlotte observer and other places will note that you know sharf brought in a lot of people from his old clique at bank of new york or some people who were affiliated with his mentor jamie diamond you know these are things that we learn and we understand and then we go well I know why he said it because he wanted his click there and we we get that we understand that but you know we mentioned all of these things and there was a New York Times story about um, banks um, fighting back against the government saying that they should not provide relief for African-American farmers because they want to be able to earn a little bit of interest income on the loans that these black farmers got and shit like that is just ridiculous and we know that it's all there and could it be that there are people that aren't of color who are experiencing those things as well? Absolutely. We know that there's going to be those people as well. But I've been in the game long enough. And 13 years of working in banking is long enough. Three years of doing this is long enough to understand that these patterns happen all the time. You can talk about redlining. You could talk about all this shit that goes on still. But it's done in a different way now than the way that it was before but it's still there i mentioned um someone who is following me on social now um a reporter from wfaa um david Schechter, and he did a story about banking below interstate 30 in dallas and i've watched a couple of the bits and pieces of his story and it's interesting i don't know shit about dallas i've only been there once and ironically enough it was for bank of america training but interestingly enough you know he sees it which means other people see it, which means community leaders of these places see it as well. And in a place like DFW, where Bank of America is just closing branches left and right, they had those automated ATMs, those things called ATAs, which are basically ATAs with video teller capability. And I was really big on those things because they had a call center here in New Mexico for ATAs and one of my um, friends from back home, and I will just say that much... Um, because I don't want to give out names of this person because I really think that this person is amazing and they still work for Bank of America and I don't want to get them in trouble. Notice how I'm using they and them instead of her or him or whatever because, yeah. Um, this person was part of the ATA video teller department here in New Mexico. That's as far as I'll go. And frankly... Um, I knew that whenever I saw those things rolling out and I was still with the company, I knew that they were going to just try to find a way to replace tellers and replace associates with that. And I knew it wasn't going to work because there's just some things that just don't work well whenever it's automated. I remember I, I was talking to a car rental clerk in Delaware when I was in Phoenix to rent a car. And it was just bizarre. Like, it, you know, it was very Jetsons-y. And I wasn't ready for the fucking Jetsons yet on there, if you can believe that. So we weren't ready for ATAs. So ATAs were kind of rolled out in DFW and a lot of these urban areas of Dallas and no one used them. And then the bank said, well, you know, if we're trying to get rid of tellers, 
Why are we paying someone to be a teller that's not even in the branch who can't help us with sales or whatever? So then they got rid of the ATAs. So what happened was they didn't rehire the tellers. And then during the pandemic, they closed down the branches. So these people who were trained to go into the bank to talk with an ATA teller is, is now shit out of luck because they have to do everything online, which means they can't get direct help the way that they want person to person because the bank is closed because of an obvious reason or not so obvious reason the pandemic did impact a lot of people uh, but now it's kind of over and then in fucking texas for instance uh, they've been open up for months now but you see things like that and you kind of see where it's geared towards and it's all geared towards the lower income people lower to middle income people the majority of which are people who are like me brown skinned or black skinned um running into hurdles whenever they want to do their day-to-day banking and a company that basically says we're going to give a bunch of money to all these you know community programs on behalf of this murdered african-american man one year ago in minneapolis minnesota um it's kind of facetious it's kind of stupid and i really do believe that bank of america first and foremost has exploited the Floyd situation far more than any other financial institution and we've gone over it a million times in the podcast and I don't want to waste time rehashing everything here you can listen to it in the old archives of this podcast but here's the thing okay so we see all these people remembering it and I want to believe that most people are genuine when they talk about what's going on um, in this country as a result of it and a conversation is there and a conversation is happening all the time but i'll be frank with you okay it's hard to be on social media nowadays twitter is kind of easy because i don't have to click on the stuff i don't have to click on if i don't want to be upset but whenever i go check my facebook because guess what that's where my mom hangs out that's where my aunts hang out yes older people go on facebook more than younger people now um you know you see stories about you know man killed in police shooting and police charged with manslaughter for shooting man in this location here and then you see the little emoticons of people who are liking the news story or whatever and there's a bunch of thumbs ups there's a bunch of angers of course i'd be angry too and then there's a bunch of fuckers laughing at someone dying at the hands of police and that tells me we're just not right as a society because you know what frankly i i am a hispanic american man mexican american man i grew up around racism there's a lot of prejudices that my grandparents have there's a lot of prejudices that my parents have and there's a lot of people from my generation and that's you know age 30 plus who grew up with all those grandparents and parents talking about all those racist things or stereotypical things and it bled its way down to them have i said offensive things in the past absolutely i have and i've i've taken ownership of them because i've realized that now in my 30s what i was thinking in my teens and 20s is not indicative of who i am now it takes a lot of learning a lot of actual thought process in order to kind of wean yourself away from that hey that you know my people are better than your people type of thing This is not a sociology class, okay? I don't need to talk about this on a bank podcast. But the fact of the matter is we got a lot of work to do. And I think, you know, whenever big banks put themselves out there and saying, hey, we're going to be the leaders in this movement to, to bring change to our society. And all they're doing is handing out hand sanitizer and showing their investment in allowing people to apply for home loans. But there's other ways of kind of screwing people out of those loans on the back end that makes it look like it was the customer's fault uh, for not having their shit together. Then I got a problem with that. 
how much money will Bank of America actually pay out to people, give to people out of that $1.25 billion that they've committed to um, in the ensuing four years? Because it's a five-year plan and it's been a year already. I would say out of $1.25 billion, if they commit legitimately half of that, $625 million, I'll be blown away. But whenever you count the full price of the home loan as part of giving back to the community, when you know damn well that that person of color is going to be paying on their home loan and you're counting it towards your philanthropy, then you're fucking wrong. I'm going to wrap it up here, but all i got to say is I'll have a video up on this. We'll talk more about it, I'm sure, as the days and weeks go on. PPP forgiveness and a lot of bank issues are currently happening still. And I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I'm waiting to see B of A and Wells Fargo announcing thousands of branch closures nationwide and a lot of places of color to be impacted by that, as they already are now since the beginning of the pandemic last year. So a lot more to talk about. Um, We'll be back to wrap it up, but we'll get into the Tom Montag story just a little bit. Uh, before we go away for the day so stick around all right i'm back to wrap it up but before i do i want to talk about the tom montag article in the new york times kate kelly um did an amazing article a couple weeks ago about tom montag who is the heir apparent to brian moynihan although they don't necessarily say that out loud at bank of america but he is the bank's number two executive and the byline here is has long run its markets and corporate banking division with favoritism and an iron fist, employees say. And the name of the article is, a quote, friend of Tom, or quote, can't be bothered. One man's rules at Bank of America. And the first paragraph, and I'm going to link to in the show notes, I don't want to read the whole thing to you, it's very engaging. It says, early on in the pandemic, Bank of America found an innovative way to gauge the success of the bank's work from home experiment a spreadsheet distributed to team managers daily that pitted the productivity of people working from home against those who were still showing up at the office. That paragraph right there is Bank of America in a fucking nutshell. I knew, I knew this, and I knew this from insiders. I knew this from the people who worked at Bank of America who told me this, that they were judged harshly from working from home. If they had sick relatives, if they had, you know, people that they were worried about getting infected with COVID, they were judged on that, saying, okay, well, you can work from home, and then they would send them a fucking cheap laptop. I think they sent them Chromebooks, and nothing against Chromebooks, it's just not my cup of tea. And they told them to work from home, you know, vetting PPP documents, and doing all this shit that they weren't used to doing. But attendance is is mandatory. It reminds me of the NFL. Like um, Aaron Rodgers, my favorite quarterback, although I'm not a Green Bay Packers fan, skipped his mandate or his voluntary workouts today um in green bay because he's in hawaii he's cliff jumping he's hanging out with his freaking gorgeous fiance and of course he might be the future host of jeopardy but he's the quarterback he's the mvp of the league but he's not there and they're pissed at him because even though it's voluntary you really should have to be there so at bank of america even though hey you can work from home because covid's a scary thing I knew they were going to fucking judge you if you decided to work from home. Period. End of story. And it says, created from Tom Montag, the bank's number two executive, the spreadsheet, as described by two people with knowledge of it, and according to images reviewed by the New York Times, listed market employees in descending order of their profitability each day, with those working from the office on one side and those working from home from the other. The evidence on which work environment yielded better results was mixed, those people said, but the message that the spreadsheet sent was not. Mr. Montag was keeping score. And you know that that's the way it is. You know that you have to work twice as hard. And whenever you hear um, people of color or you hear women 
talking about, hey, I had to work twice as hard to get half the attention. I really do believe at that point in time, people who were working from home were treated like second-class citizens, like they were women or people of color. And that's fucking sad. That's just pathetic. It says Montag oversees 17,000 people in BFA's Global Banking and Markets Division, i.e. the the bank accounts that have millions of dollars, where your little $5,000 account is means dick to them. It doesn't mean anything to them. So Montag is the one who monitors the accounts that matter to them. Um, during the pandemic, workers of his who showed up at the office called themselves warriors. Those who stayed home were referred to as tapped out, like defeated cage fighters. Quote, friends of Tom, as his favorite employees are widely but officially unofficially known, got bonuses, promotions, and access to the boss. Others were marked for pay reductions or something referred, referred to as the, quote, can't be bothered list. It's a fucking mind game, okay? It's like being in an abusive relationship. I've said it before. I grew up around domestic violence. I grew up around uh, men belittling women. It's it's hard as a, as a manly man myself, and I can feel my chest hair rub against my shirt as we speak here. Um, I'm Mr. Testosterone, but seeing what I saw when I grew up, told me I never wanted to be that way. What What is explained in this article is basically saying, hey, you're a little bitch if you can't make it to work. You can't be bothered to work for this company because, oh, you, you don't want to get sick. Meanwhile, I got warriors here are going to show up, but you guys are tapped out. You know, friends of Tom, they got it made. Friends of Tom show up to work. They kick ass at their goals. They get bonuses. They get promotions. They get to party with the boss. It's just the way it is. That's the way Bank of America thinks. Made $19 million last year, Montag did. Second best paid employee. He pressured market workers to keep showing up at the office despite stay-at-home orders. And some Montag's workers grew fearful. If they didn't go into the office, they would lose their jobs or bonuses. And I have said that a million times on my podcast. Um, I was always afraid to call the employee ethics hotline. Because I really felt that that tattletale hotline was... um, who should we fire for trying to get other people in trouble to to avoid us hitting our goals or get us into regulatory trouble? I really do believe that, and a lot of Bank of America employees would probably speak to that as well. Um, but, you know, February interview with Bank's Midtown Manhattan Tower, Montag said he was worried about market turmoil in the early days of the pandemic and went to the office every day. I was the battlefront for us in a way, he explained. Let me do that in my bank voice. I haven't done that in a while. <clears throat> I was the battlefront for us in a way, he explained. Um, why are you talking like it's a fucking war? I don't understand that. And I, I was never big on language like that. Like whenever I say I fight back against big banks, I don't say like, yeah, we're the so-and-so army and we're going to battle and we're going to, you know, take our, take plant our flag at Bank of America. All this wartime reference shit is tired and old people stuff. It's an old way of thinking. And and Kate Kelly says in her article, the wartime reference is one indication that Montag is a vestige of a Wall Street that has mostly vanished, meaning he's an old motherfucker. He's old, and he's irrelevant to the way people think now. Yes, Montag has donated to Republican, um, the Republican Party and Republican candidates. I don't care about that. I really don't. He can give his money to whoever the shit he wants. If they win or lose, I don't think that his donations are really going to put anyone over the top. It might get him some influence or whatever, but that's just the way that it is. It's just fine, you know. But 
um, you know, the New York Times, which of course has a, a, a liberal, you know, slant, and of course they'll be the first to admit that. Um, talking about all this stuff, I don't think it's a hit piece because of his beliefs and thoughts. I really don't. I really do believe bad is bad. I really do believe if, um, you know, this Montag was, you know, donating to everyone on the blue side of things, I really do believe that this article would still happen because it's more about the banks than about who he is and where he comes from, I guess. And then there was a quote here by Robert Grillo, who was a managing director in the Bond Division of Bank of America for seven years. Tom demanded excellence. He was very motivational in speaking. He had an incredible work ethic. But his favoring of certain groups and people, I think, was detrimental to the total culture. It says, his is a world where certain people are primed for major leadership roles. That happens in the lower ranks of Bank of America, while others are jettisoned for seemingly minor offenses. I'm raising my hand right now because yours truly was fired for a $4.95 loss in August 2018. Absolutely minor offense. He likes grand displays of dedication and plays favorites, polarizing employees. Favoritism happens in every workplace, but favoritism happens a lot at Bank of America. There's this one banker, I won't say his name, just in the off chance that he's listening to this podcast. I liked him for the longest time. Um, I didn't like his brother so much, and there's a whole story uh, around that. But he really offended me towards the end of my relationship because I was doing the Walk for Life charity, you know, the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes, and I was looking for some red high heels to walk a mile in her shoes. And I have a wide foot. I have a 14 wide foot. And he totally mocked my foot size in a conference call with all of our bank peers. And it really fucking hurt my feelings, you know. I, I've been told I have a big head. I've been told I'm fat. And I've been told I have big feet. I, I understand these things. And, I, and I'm okay with it. I live with it every day. But I don't need to fucking hear it all the time. And this dude was a teacher's pet from hell with our direct manager, our market executive. It seemed like he was the one that took the lead on any charitable event affair because it was his way of getting out of work. And when he fucking sucked at his goals, we're like, man, he's going to get fired any day now. And guess what? He didn't. Because he was always the one that set up the Christmas party and this and that or whatever. It's favoritism. And that's just the way Bank of America is. Montag was slower to embrace remote work and the results were attrition and flagging morale. 11 senior market employees, several traders, and department heads have left Montag's divisions, along with the chair of Global Corporate and Investment Banking. 100 employees took layoff packages as a way of exit while keeping their stock, said a person familiar with the figures. Some department employees took new jobs or were pushed out. Many left over the frustration with the culture, which the pandemic made less tolerable. Yeah, I'm sure it was an amped up place, you know. And... You know, it gets into, like, you know, where he grew up and he started his career 35 years ago and he's a football player and all that. All the all the tropes that, hey, if you're a football player, that means you're a manly man and you're going to grab the ass of every woman in front of you and you're going to just be a total frat boy. I don't really necessarily care for, you know, generalizations like that, but I understand what they're getting at. You know, and he's he's worked hard to make Bank of America successful. I will never doubt the work ethic of these banks to make the most fucking money that they possibly can because that's just what they do. They're built for that. I was built for that for the longest time until I saw how much it hurt people. So, you know, you see all these things. You see people talking about the culture and how people were stressed out, long hours, and Montag's directives not being clear. 
um, discussing employee pay, Montag would occasionally occasionally trim small amounts like twenty five or fifty thousand dollars from bonuses to close to a million dollars. Meeting attendees recalled for reasons that weren't clear to them. That happens on the lower end of Bank of America all the fucking time. So that's no that's no big thing to me. I used to hit three thousand dollar bonuses a quarter at Bank of America. And they'd be like, well, you know, our satisfaction score dropped from an eighty seven to an eighty six. We're still over our goal, but we went down. And yeah, you you could do a little bit better at greeting your customers three times or saying their name three times, greeting them whenever they come in, walking them to the door, and thanking them for banking at Bank of America and using the word client and not using the word customer. I'd get money deducted for shit like that. And sometimes it's just second nature. Sometimes it's hard to stuff a word in whenever another word feels so good. Sometimes it's weird, especially if the if a woman was hot. A girl was hot, whatever, and I, I hate using terminology like that, but I am a heterosexual man, for God's sakes. Um, let's just say I'm helping a beautiful girl, and I, like, I have a crush on her, and I can't wait to see her again and all that stuff. I'm like, hey, it was good seeing you. Thank you for coming to Bank of America. Let me show you out the door. Fucking 150 foot stalker walk to the door because bank protocols say that I have to walk her all the way to the door. I can't even hold the door open for her, but i got to walk her to the door. Like, I used to get in trouble for that. Like, legitimately. It's weird. People thought it was weird. Customers thought it was weird. But you would get deductions for stuff like that as a way of just fucking with you whenever your bonus would come in. You know, Montag denies playing favorites according to the article. There's obviously no friends of Tom list. There's friends of everyone. Then there's no paper list. You know, you pick your favorites who you pick back in the day. And, you know, you, you hear about these things, but then on here they're talking about sexual harassment accusations. And there was 15 confidential settlements per year over alleged misconduct. And you have this culture. And here's the frank, frank thing about it, okay? There's, there's people who were belittled because they're women. I've seen that before. I've seen women, um, you know, talked about in certain ways. Um, like on here it says, in 2017, a junior woman on one of the bond trading desks complained after male colleagues grabbed a plastic curling iron out of her bag and joked that it was a dildo, according to a complaint described by the Times and three people with knowledge of the episode. The woman who had occasional informal interactions on the trading floor with Montag but was multiple levels subordinate to him was granted a settlement. Sexual harassment happens everywhere you go, okay? You know, the conversations that we had in the retail branch... I will say were adult conversations, especially in the drive-thru. I used to love the drive-thru because we were able to close the door. And yes, all of my coworkers were women. I, I didn't do anything to offend them. In fact, I used to think the other way around that the women that I worked with were actually, you know, quite vulgar and they would always talk about things that were probably not bank appropriate and I would just follow suit. But yes, of course, I was a part of that world too. I saw how that is. But I always worked around majority of women. When you get to these places like, you know, the Bond Division and all this shit, it's like 90% guys. Then it's a boys club. Then it's people helping one another. I know that. I'm a dude. I've seen that happen before in this world. So I can understand and I sympathize, empathize with these people because shit like that does happen. And it says, you know, I'm trying to like read it as fast as I can here so I can wrap it up for you. But it says, Montag initially urged workers to keep coming in the office. He began cycling to work every day in jeans and sneakers instead of his coat and tie. He thanked those who were present. He sometimes emailed others who were working remotely to come to my office, which some, recipient, which some recipients interpreted as a thinly veiled demand that they return. Yeah, of course it is. That's just the way that 
passive aggressive shit that Bank of America does. Um, but you're seeing that there's just a lot of toxic culture with the way that work from home was ha- handled, and you see how stressful it was for those people and there's still a lot of people working from home and you know that they're going to try to bring people back to work in the coming months as well and yes okay things are getting better thankfully people are getting vaccinated and stuff it's not as much a threat as it was last year but the fact of the matter is this the last year must have fucking sucked if you worked for bank of america during the pandemic and you worked from home a lot of the insiders that i talked to who still work at bank of america who worked for bank of america during the pandemic tell me these crazy stories of the stresses that they have to have that are different than the stresses inside the branch or inside the call center or inside a place like that um but they're still stressors nonetheless and they can't handle and they want to leave and some have left you know the the article on montag is is interesting because he is going to be the boss someday and i really do believe if moynihan does leave in the next five years that montag is going to spend the next you know, five to ten years as CEO possibly, and these things are going to come up again. This article is going to be referenced, and God knows what's going to be talked about in those conversations. Will there be more exposés about him? Who knows? And he just seems like one of those weirdos that once I post this podcast, he would probably find the podcast and send me an email say to go fuck myself or something like that. And I'm looking forward to that email. <laughs> I've never worked with him directly, but he was a Bank of America peer of mine for a long time. And all I can say is, where there's smoke, there's fire. If there's people that have the balls enough to kind of leak out this information to someone with the New York Times, then I know that there's probably a lot of truth to it and not just a kernel of truth. I really do believe that there is a problem out there with being culture in general. It's the more, more, more attitude and that you work so much there that whenever it's 95% men and 5% women, you tend to talk to those women some more and then you tend to get yourself into conversations and into situations that are not work appropriate. Women still have a lot to deal with in this world and I understand that um, too much seeing the conversations, um, having the conversations that I had with them over my time there. I'll wrap it up in this. I, um, you know, Like I said, it happens everywhere, but there was a point in time where I had a coworker of mine who was a banker who was in my similar role at Bank of America, and I was training her. And we were talking about uh, her previous work at a college, and I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to give too much detail out. But she knew a mutual person that I knew through another connection, and she said, yeah, this person would email me on LinkedIn telling me to go out with him, saying that I look sexy in pictures and all that stuff. And... Like, I didn't believe it. It's not that I didn't believe her. It's just I never thought of LinkedIn as a place to try to hook up with someone. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that he would do that. He did that and he worked at the university with you. and this. So, you know, we're talking about it. And then one day she whips out her LinkedIn and she shows me all the messages that this guy had. And he was a married man. And I'm like, man, these fucking people, like, they just think that they own the world. Even if you have the littlest shit job. You think you own the world. And it's just these delusions of grandeur that I'll never understand. Toxic work cultures need to be put out immediately. And the fact that this dude is the number two person at Bank of America, he probably has all the protection in the world to make sure that he's going to stay at least number two and quite possibly be number one at some point in time is a fucking scary concept. 
And all I know is if half the stories are true that are true on here, he needs to get a long, hard look at his future with Bank of America and his possible future as being the head of Bank of America before he is ever given the keys to anything remotely important. I'm going to wrap it up from here because I have talked way too much today and um, I know an hour and a half podcast is a, a lot for you to listen to. So um, I'll link to everything in the show notes. Of course, follow me at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, uh, Notorious Banker on TikTok as well. You can cash app or Venmo me at the Banker Dude. James at thenotoriousbanker.com or thenotoriousbanker at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line. I do want to do a caller, a voicemail show or an email show in the next couple of weeks, so hopefully I'll have that. But of course, I'll be back in a few days with some more um, bank news. We'll see what's percolating out there. Got to pretty much all of it today, and I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this podcast. I appreciate your patronage. My name is James, the Notorious Banker, signing off, and once again, say a prayer, say some thoughts for my niece out there, and um, thank you so much for all the kind words that you've given to me in the last two and a half years we've been doing this. Um, there are days where I don't feel like doing it. There are days where it's just all the stressors of bank stuff is just too much for me to handle because it reminds me of the redundancy of bad shit that I had to deal with while at Bank of America. But I do it for the people, I do it for the customers, I do it for you. So thank you very much for your support during these crazy times. I sound like a banker, right? Um, I really do appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. You have a great day. Bye.